This is Still Rowing, a High Five Live podcast, where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in Jesus Christ and His restored church. Hello and welcome to the Still Rowing podcast. This is your host, Amy Cower. And I would like to welcome Emery Monker Pugmire onto the show today. She's got a beautiful outlook on life that I, I hope rubs off on all of us today. <laughs> uh, just to give a little bit of background on Emery, she grew up on a farm in Lowell, Wyoming, where she is the eldest of six redheaded children. She attended Brigham Young University, where she received a bachelor's in family sciences and a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. She is married to Jeff Pugmire of Seattle, Washington and they are the parents of five children. Currently, she lives in Saratoga Springs, Utah, but her children would call Apple Valley, Minnesota home. The family has also loved their experiences living in Sandy, Utah, Lowell, Wyoming, and Edwards, Colorado. She served as a full-time missionary in the Pennsylvania Pittsburgh Mission. Emery is licensed as a marriage and family therapist and currently sees patients from Minnesota and Utah. She has been a faculty member for BYU Education Week, a children's ski instructor at Beaver Creek, Colorado, opened a dance studio, a home decor boutique, and formed a nonprofit corporation, the High Art Theater. Currently, her hobby is learning about the physical body. Emery, that's a bit of a mouthful in that bio. You've got so many amazing talents and hobbies. I'm excited to hear more of your story. Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Now, as we were preparing for our chat today, you shared with me your mission statement. Could you share that with us here on the podcast and tell us how you developed that? So um, how I developed this, um, I was just doing some life coaching and looking at what I need to do. And I was inspired by President Nelson's May address to the young adults of the church where he talked about knowing who you are and knowing what roles you have. And there were eternal roles, um, roles that we have in our family, and then roles that I would consider mortal roles. Um, and then, and what was so interesting to me is that the roles that we mainly would post or emphasize on social media, they're all roles that aren't very important, like they're not the roles with us. So here's a statement I like to remind myself of. I am Emery M. Pugmire. I am a daughter of God, a child of the covenant, a disciple of Christ, a daughter, a granddaughter, a sister, cousin, niece, wife, aunt, mother, and someday will be a grandmother. I am a friend to many. I am a builder of hope, an encourager of change, a friend to those that find themselves in a place of confusion, and a believer of God's plan and promises. I have a desire to lead others to a place where they can find peace, answers, and anchors. I believe that place is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that others will find that place when the time is right for them. And because of this belief, I do not feel pressured that my action is the only action to help them arrive at this destination. 
That is an inspiring set of statements about yourself. When you wrote that, did you feel that within yourself that you, did you already believe all of those things about yourself or has that been a a process in becoming? I would say I did believe that in myself now as, and I'm very grateful that we've studied um, the Old Testament this year. Um, Now, as I read through that, I try to read through this like almost as a daily affirmation or a daily manifestation, just looking at things. But as I look at that, I'm like, I'm a daughter of God. I'm a daughter of heavenly parents that love me. And because of that, I can feel their love and I can recognize their love in many ways throughout the day. As a child of the covenant, I think children of the covenant through my study this year of the Old Testament like they, they saw miracles. And because of that, I too can experience miracles and see those miracles. I can expect those miracles. Um, yeah. So I would say all of this was something that I'm like, yeah, this is who I am. And it was funny as I sat down to write it, I'm like, it just would flow a lot easier than I would think it would. I'm like, oh, um, as you'll notice, like my familial roles, they go in order of what I was like, obviously um, being a mother and a spouse may be more important than being a niece um, and a cousin to me right now, but I was a cousin and a niece before I was a mother and a spouse. So I just tried to put those in order of how those had come about in mortality. That is really cool. Thank you for sharing more about your mission statement and how you developed that. I was Yeah, I was curious about this sense of self that you seem to have, uh, especially as you've gone through the challenge of a degenerative disease. I'm sure that that has definitely impacted the way you felt uh, towards yourself. I guess I don't want to imply, I don't want to put that on you. Do you feel like your experience with MS has affected the way that you feel or view yourself? Oh, definitely. Like, I think that, um, I think it's beneficial to go back here all the time. Like so many times, like the things that, um, I think I, I linked you to my blog, like that was an experience. If I can't wash dishes, who am I like? And then I just had to go, no, like, that's not like really a core value of my life. Like most people glory when they don't have to wash dishes. Why am I crying about this? And so, um, and I think we do that a lot. Like I think um, the circumstances will impact us a lot more when we're not focused on who we really are or what really, you know, when we allow circumstances to be a bigger deal to us when we lose our focus. So this helps me kind of laser focus. Like this is what's, this is really who I am. And the other stuff is just kind of blah, 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 blah. So. I think a lot of people would benefit from reading your blog. Do you mind if we link? Oh, no, you're you're welcome to. I'm sorry. I have not kept it up very well, but um, one of these days I'll get a minute to go back to it. I mean, it's amazing that you have a blog <laughs> with all the demands of life. I think that that's pretty incredible, especially the things that you're all involved in. So uh, I kind of jumped the gun a little bit for our audience. 
Could you tell us the story about your illness? Well, how old were you when you received yes. it? Yes. So in 2003, um, I woke up one morning and I was just showering and I noticed numbness in my middle ring and pinky fingers on both hands. And um, that numbness would happen anytime I put my hands in hot water. And with five or four little kids at the time, you put your hands in hot water a lot in the day. And um, by Thursday of that week, it had um, spread up to my elbows. I was like, I, I would say I was probably not a very um, aware person of my body at that time, but I this was obvious enough that I knew something was not right. So I did call for an appointment and um, I went to just a general practitioner. And at that time, just I remember he was asking me all these questions. And I said to him, what are you getting at? Because you're making me sound sick and I'm really healthy. And he said to me, or he questioned me at that time. And he said, or he asked, um, is there a history of multiple sclerosis in your family? And I said, um, no, but as I said that, I had three memories just, I mean, just pop into my forehead. And this probably happened in like 10 seconds. It was so fast. But these three different memories were over a period of probably three years where I had had like a sharp shooting electrical pain in a knee. And as soon as I had that pain, the thought passed through my mind, that's MS. Or I had been talking to a friend that had been diagnosed with MS and I had the thought just go through my brain, you have that. And, um, and th these happened in three different states, which was a funny thing. So um, like I said, over the course of three years. So when he said that, I was like, oh yeah, I do. And he said, well, no, Miss Pugmire, we have to actually test for these things. And I was like, in my brain, I was thinking, oh, God's been trying to prepare me for this. It's not a problem. I've got this. And I'm like, okay, do your test. Like, like he was trying to tell me, but I was so busy. I didn't hear that. And which was fine. I don't think he was angry with me or punishing me or that I had it worse because of that. It just wasn't what it was. So um, anyway, that's kind of how I developed MS or how I was diagnosed with MS. Um, at that time, I went on medication and they would always tell me, you are the poster child. Like this is working so well for you. And then I was, um, I raised my children. I was a ski instructor with an MS diagnosis and then it started catching up and I really believe that what was going on it wasn't as much like the MS itself was not progressing there's no evidence of that but my physical degeneration was was having more symptomology um, and so I knew I wouldn't be able to like all of a sudden I couldn't passed the physical test to be a ski instructor and I was moving. So that was kind of fortunate. I wasn't going to be sad about that. And then like, oh, I can't use my hands to do this. I can't do this. I can't do that. 
Um, in 2013, I went into a wheelchair and at that time, I wish I could show you my picture of my little shoes right now. I was working, well, I had gone to work and because I couldn't wash dishes, I was really sad. Like, I can't be a mom. I can't do the things I need to do. And my husband said, I think you need to go to work. I think you're going to be happier working. And um, I always felt really bad that I had no skill with hair. Like I was, but now I think, oh man, I am so grateful I was not a hairdresser because I can't use my hands or I couldn't stand. Um, and so I'm grateful that I went into a field where I just needed to use my brain and my mouth. Like that worked just fine. So I went to work um, in Minnesota at a hospital that treated eating disorders. And I loved that experience. That was, um, that was just a really great opportunity for me to be able to um, use the skills that were not being impacted. So I would drive, um, I had a car that I would drive with hand controls. I would get myself in and out of work. And um, at the time I was surfing um, in a calling of the stake that required a bit of travel. So I did that. Um, yeah, I would say I was sad that I couldn't volunteer to be part of my children's school activities, like physically doing what I wanted to do, but it was okay. Um, I still was able to be where they were and do a lot of that stuff. Then in 2018, I um, I was driving my car and all of a sudden my arm stopped working. And so I did not drive after that. I'm like, it's not safe for me to drive anymore. And that, um, that has been a real freedom taker aware. <laughs> So just because you're dependent on a lot of people and the less I moved, the less I drove, the less I could do. And um, so I would say it just progressed like my um, disability progressed, my MS did not progress. And so now, um, now I spend a lot of time just working on regaining mobility and dexterity and strength. Um, there has not been a progression of the disease. Like in my brain, you can't see more lesions. Um, in fact, that you can see less, but symptomology is greater. Okay. I was going to ask for that clarifying question because I don't know that I understand it well enough. So the when you're saying the disease isn't progressing, it's just the number of lesions. Is that right? And yeah. There's, so there's two different things so that you've got your symptoms that you're seeing your physical symptoms. So if you looked at me, you would say, oh, the disease is definitely progressive. Um, I don't believe that that's true. Like if you tied your arm to your side, eventually you're not going to be able to use your arm. Like it would just stop using. And so I believe that like I've sat in a wheelchair since 2013 in a power wheelchair. Oh, that's what I was going to tell you about my shoes. Sorry, I got sidetracked. Anyway, um, um, so I got, I sat there. So because I sit there and I don't move, the less you do, the less you can do. Um, one of the things you asked, um, what I wish I had known 
now. I believe I was really under the impression of this is just, uh, you know, this is just going to keep getting worse and I've got to just keep doing this. What I wish I would have known then that I know now is just keep physically doing as much as you can. And I, I do feel like I did that. Like I was constantly exercising or going to physical therapy. Um, but I don't believe I understood how strong the body and the mind are. Like they're a lot stronger than any disease that can come along. And I'm not sure I really activated those so strong. So, okay, so I'm going to go back to when I, when I got the wheelchair. Um, I was working at the time and I'd been, so I first went into the hospital walking and then I went to a ski pole because I didn't really want to use a cane. And then I went to a walker and then I ended up in the wheelchair. Um, but I thought this is so weird just to show up at work someday in a wheelchair. Like, what do you expect? Like, that's so odd for people. What are they gonna say? So my husband took me to the store and we bought these four inch rhinestone high heels. And, um, and I sent out a letter to everyone at my work, like the Friday before this was gonna happen on a Tuesday, I believe. And I said, on Tuesday, I'm getting a new ride. I will have a wheel, a power wheelchair. So I would recommend if you see me coming, you get to the other side of the hall because I don't know how good of a driver I'm going to be. But the good news about a power wheelchair is you can wear whatever shoes you want and your feet will never hurt. So in honor of my new ride, I'm declaring it fancy footwear day. And I'm inviting everyone in the hospital to wear their fanciest shoes to celebrate me being in a power chair. So that day was just a fabulous day. Um, I showed up to work and they had made like cakes out of high heel, you know, decorated everywhere. There were signs everywhere and every, like all the clinicians had colorful shoes, high heeled shoes, whatever. It was just kind of a fun thing. And then from thereafter, like I would spread it to Facebook every year. Um, and I remember one year there was like, I just invited people to show me their, their fancy footwear for the day. And I had like a ball, a toe ballet class, like everybody had their toe ballet shoes pointed in the air, or different things. So that was just a fun thing. I'm like, you know, when you get in those situations that are not fun, it's okay to find fun to have with them. <laughs> Best work party ever. That sounds awesome. I definitely want to participate in Fancy Footwear Day. When is this? It's my anniversary, actually. It's the 28th of April. 28th of April. I'm putting it on my calendar for yeah. all of our still rowing audience. I think that is that says a lot about your character. Um Life is going to give us lemons, but that's a, an amazing example of making lemonade. <laughs> so as things developed, how did that change your relationship with God? Well, I would say um, probably um, when I was first diagnosed with MS, I had a pretty um, strong connection just saying like, and, and I was very clear, you're going to be okay. Like, I love you. That's not going to change. You're going to be okay. 
And I would say that probably the thing that has been the most helpful is just always being like, sure, there are plenty of times that I'm angry about this, but I'm like, who am I really going to be angry at? Like, it's not like someone did this to me. And I know that I'm totally loved by God. So it's not like I can really be angry at him. I remember once I went into a doctor and he was of another faith and he looked, but very, very religious. Um, he was practicing Jewish at the time. I believe he still is. And he looked at me and he said, so how do you make sense out of this? And he's looking up and down at the wheelchair. And I said, well, I just believe God is more interested in my progression than my comfort. And I'm, you know, I'm okay with that. So, and then because he was Jewish, we talked a lot. I said, you know, I don't believe that every circumstance we get in is because God says, this is a great place for you to grow. Like, obviously, there are a lot of victims throughout history and in today's world that the place they're in is not because God said, you need to be here to grow. We also have um, others, other individuals' agency, and sometimes they use that agency in an inappropriate way. I would say, for instance, the Jewish Holocaust, that was inappropriate. That was not God's will. He cried during that as well. Um, but when people use their agency for evil, there are consequences of that. So I just wanted to make sure he understood how I felt about that. But I love that doctor. He was such, um, such an amazing friend to me. It's really amazing to me to hear you say that though this debilitating illness has taken a lot of your capabilities in life, that you still feel that not only is there no reason to be angry with God, but also that, that there might be a room where God doesn't intend for us to necessarily, I don't know what the right way is to phrase that, but. I don't think he joys in our suffering. Um, and I think that that is a common misconception. And when we have that misconception, it causes a lot of um, distance between us and our actual healer. And, um, and probably that has been something I've learned more through therapy um, and working with individuals that have been very injured and hurt, like, I, I do believe our God cries with us when we cry. Like he doesn't, just like we don't like to see our children suffer. He doesn't like to see our children suffer, his children suffer. But he doesn't interfere with that suffering because he trusts that they will be able to overcome that. Um, which is a difficult thing as a parent because you just want to step in and change it and to be able to say, no, I trust that this person will be able to do it. That's pretty remarkable. I remember when um, my oldest son went on a mission um, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I, um, at my workplace, there were no other members of my faith there. There were many members of different denominations and someone asked me, well, aren't you worried about him? Um, what's going to happen? And I said, I don't know what's going to happen, 
but I know how he responds to things and he will be just fine. Like I, I know, I know him well enough to know that whatever comes his way, I know the type of decision he will make, even though I don't know the decision he will make. And I feel like that's how our heavenly father is with us. Like he steps back and allows us to make the decisions because he really trusts us. He really trusts us. I, I agree with that. And I also feel like he has a much broader perspective than we do of our suffering, of what that means for us, what that's actually doing for us. And I, in my understanding of, of pain and suffering, it seems that this earthly experience is so short uh, and that there is so much more to come that for him, it's like when we take our infants to go get shots at the doctor is the way that I feel about it. You know, it's this, this little, this pain that they're going to experience. And they're looking at you like, what in the world, what did you just do? <laughs> what did you just do to me? But we're doing it. There's a, there's more of a reason to it than just yeah. that they're in pain. Um, and there's no question those times that you're sitting in it, they may not feel like they're just a short moment. You're like, okay, totally. I've weathered this storm. Well, but I'm kind of done with this storm, like move on. Like yeah. it's, it's time for something new. And I do think um, Victor Frankl had stated anyone can endure anyhow, as long as they know when the end is. And I'm not, that's not a direct quote, but that's um, the gist of what you said. And I think that's so important for us, like to keep our faith and know this is how it is at the moment. We can endure anything because we do know the end of the story. I love that. I love the conference talk and I apologize. I don't remember who gave it. I believe it was Elder Holland where he talked about, we're already on the winning team. We just have to pick our job. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I loved that, that I think that was given when I was back in high school. So football was definitely something relatable at the time, <laughs> but I, I loved that analogy. Um, I always love knowing the ending too. I read to the end of my mystery novels before I actually finish the, <laughs> before I actually finish the book, because I always want to know. So how lucky are we, even though it doesn't always feel that way in day to day. Yeah, that it doesn't mean even, even knowing that even when you know the ending, the middle is very hard. Yeah. And maybe that's the best way to put it. It's not that, yeah, we do know the end, but it also takes a lot of faith to believe that that really is the end because of what we're experiencing with our limited knowledge and perspective. Right. I also was really impressed with the way that you, the way that you just jumped back into work, I guess we, I don't, we didn't talk too much about what that process was like for you, but I look at, again, reading your bio, you, you were a faculty member for BYU Education Week. You were a ski instructor. You opened a dance studio, home decor boutique, all of these fairly unrelated things. Now you're working as a therapist, which is what you had studied in school. It doesn't seem like self-limiting beliefs have much of a place in your life. Could you help me understand what that, if you've had self-limiting beliefs through this illness, and how you've responded to those? I would say that anyone that endures um, like a challenge that it's just a, I call it a shake up challenge. You're like, wait, who am I? 
who are you? What is really going on? You know, you're just totally shaken. Um, you are going to question everything. And I didn't question myself as much until like, I can deal with this. I can endure this. But when it started to impact my family, that's probably when I said, I don't know if I can do this. That would be really hard to watch the people that you love be impacted by, by an illness. Not that you have any control of that, uh, yeah. but perhaps that's the challenge is that you don't have control. of. You that. know, I think um, I learned a lot. I was a member of a prayer group once. And once again, I was the only member of our, my particular denomination. And I was at this group and I was saying, you know, I feel so sad for my fifth child. Like he is not being the right way, raised the way I raised my other children because I physically can't do that. And there was a member of this group and I don't even know who she was or what her name is. And she said to me, well, don't you believe that God knew who he sent to your family when he sent them? And I said, huh, yeah, actually, I do believe that. But I, you know, in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the storm, I forgot that God has a plan. And he doesn't just have a plan for me. He has a plan for everyone that's being impacted by what's impacted me. And so sometimes I think that when I would get scared, like, oh, no, I'm doing a bad thing for them, I had to remember no, this is all, God's got this. He's in charge of this plan. And it feels scary because I can't control it and I can't protect them, but that doesn't, nothing has changed. He's still in control. He's, he's still got this. He's still got this. It's pretty incredible to me. I would love to see what, what God's calendar looks like. Granted, that's such an earthly <laughs> having a calendar, but I just think of all the moving parts. It's pretty incredible to me how everything is orchestrated and fits together. Um, because I agree, I agree that he does seem to have a plan for those who are impacted and be able to make something beautiful out of a really difficult challenge, uh, a variety of challenges. So what does day-to-day -day life look like now for you? Well, this week, um, my husband has been traveling. So he is has not, but he left on Tuesday and he's coming home today. Um, so he's been gone for several days. And during that time, I've had a home health care company here with me and um they make my food, they drive my car, they clean my house, which is a sad thing for me. I actually love cleaning house. And so uh, if I could choose to, in fact, I've asked Jeff before, I'm like, when I get well, what are we going to do more of? And he always says, I hope not clean <laughs> because I love to clean. Like no one loves clean baseboard. Like I just love to clean. And so I always think, man, someone else would have really appreciated this immobility more than I did, because I really like to clean. I like to be out. I like to be going. I like to be doing, but I'm not, I'm not a TV watcher. 
I don't like to just sit and I sit a lot. So, so anyway, so I've had a home health care company here. Typically my daughter will come up and spend the night with me, but she was busy with her um, employment this week and she's a college student. So she, she wasn't able to come this week. So they spend the night in another bedroom and when I need to turn at night, I call them on the phone and they'll come in and roll me over. And um, it's a pretty, my life looks like a lot of um, help. I have a lot of help. I bet that would be humbling to rely yeah. on a lot of, for some, it seems like you are, are very independent um, and like to be a giver. Has that been a challenge for you to be more on the receiving end? It has been. I think that's hard for anyone. Um, where it became less hard is when I realized it's not myself that's receiving as much as members of my family. Like, I don't mind receiving it if it eases someone else's load. But once again, I, I do think that there's a little bit of a misconception in our belief system that we believe that this is a trial that we have to endure that like, I don't really believe like we have challenges, but once again, I do not believe that God joys in our trials. Like he's totally okay. If we figure out how not to be miserable, he doesn't need us to be miserable. You know, our, our purpose is here to learn and grow. And if we learn and grow and go through, He's good with that. I like that. Well, we're wearing our fancy shoes, right? So we wear our fancy shoes. And you know, today, <laughs> today I couldn't put those fancy shoes on because I haven't used those feet often because of that. My legs and feet are swollen. So they're not going to fit in those fancy shoes. But I'll find something else, you know. Yeah. And, and like I said, I wish I would have known. I was under the impression that my body is just getting worse. Um, I have seen miracles. I have seen healing happen. It just is always, it feels slower. It always feels slower for us than we want it to be. But that doesn't mean it's not happening. Mm. Would you say that this challenge is the hardest challenge you've had in your life? Um, no, I probably at the, well, someone came up to me once and they said, is this the hardest thing you've ever dealt with? And I said, at this time, and I think that, um, that that's a true statement. I've had a lot of challenges in my life. And when I look back and this challenge is hard when I focus on the challenge rather than focusing on what I really believe. Like if I focus on, oh, I had to call someone to help me or, oh, that, you know, I was uncomfortable all day sitting, like then it's hard. But if I focus on what I love and if I focus on things that have a lot more consequence than just the daily in and out, it's not as hard. Where, where I found um, the biggest challenge of my life the biggest shakeup came is when I was spiritually unprepared to deal with the challenge. And I would say that happens daily now. 
if I am spiritually prepared throughout the day, um, and, and that basically just gives me a focus um, to where I can deal with whatever challenge comes. And, you know, life mortality is so interesting. Like it hits on us in so many different ways. It's exhausting. It's tiring. And some days I'm like, I just don't have enough energy to be positive today. I just don't have enough. Like I know that thinking the positive thoughts brings in a positive vibration and will strengthen my body. But sometimes I'm like, I'm too tired to do that. Like I, I don't have the energy to do that. Well, at those times I've learned, go to bed. You know, tomorrow will always come. And it's just, and wherever you are, when tomorrow comes, it will be brighter. Emery, it's been wonderful speaking with you today and learning from you and your experience. I, I will think of you as I go through my challenges and how I can think more positively and find the joy in the journey. Uh, as we end our time together today, I'd like to ask you one final question. Why are you still rowing and choosing faith in Jesus Christ and in his restored church? Um, I think to start with, doing anything else is kind of boring. Like it doesn't bring me happiness. It doesn't make me any happier. Um, I've tried not doing that. It's, it's not effective. So I don't know why I would keep doing that. This is where I find happiness. This is where I find joy. I'd say the other thing is um, everything that I learn, and I spend a lot of time just learning um, about mental health, about physical health, everything I learn supports what I'm doing in my spiritual endeavors. Um, I do believe there's a way to be happy. And I, the more I learn, the more my belief in Jesus Christ is firmed up. Like everything I learn, I'm like, oh, and that's how that fits. Um, there are things that I, you know, that I'm like, oh, I just learned I just learned this and then I will learn a principle and I'm going, ah, oh, that all fits. I get it now. I understand. So, um, so even though I may not be learning a new black diamond run, I am learning and all of that supports the belief that I have in Jesus Christ. I love those little moments. I call them puzzle piece moments when things fit together and it feels so good, the light bulb goes off and it's like, oh my gosh, that makes sense. That's why I'm doing this. Yeah, I, I love that. Thanks. On my episode where I shared my story, I was able to share a couple of those through some of my shakeup moments. And it just brings so much meaning to the struggle. It's like, oh, Heavenly Father does have a purpose here and I have progressed. That feels really good. Well, thank I, you. I would also say just one other thing I have learned to enjoy a rear view mirror much more than a windshield. Like if you look out the rear view mirror, everything makes a lot more sense. But looking out the windshield and, you know, your front view, that's pretty scary at times. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. You have to get a few miles down the road and you're like, oh, I got it. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Emery. This was awesome. Uh, I'm excited to hear feedback on this episode. I'm sure that you will be a blessing to many. Thank you so much, Amy.
for listening to this episode of Still Rowing, a High Five Live podcast. For updates on episode releases and additional motivation and resources, you can find us on Facebook at High Five Live. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please give us a positive review on your podcast app and like us on the High Five Live Facebook page to help us spread the word. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.